and welcome to the Joy Rebellion, the podcast for all things joy, creating it, experiencing it, sharing it, and being inspired by those who live their joy out loud every single day. Stay tuned, you won't regret it. Episode 9, Taking a Ride on the Hedonic Treadmill. Is it hedonic or hedonic? I don't know. I'm going to say the word like a million times in this episode, so I'll probably say it both ways. Choose your favorite. Anyway, this week we are going to be teasing apart the difference between joy and happiness. And to start that discussion, we're going to start in actually a place that we're going to dive further into in episode 10 in the next episode, which is going to be how society views joy and happiness and how society tries to convince us that we need more happiness, but often ignores the true need for joy. Our society focuses very heavily on convincing us that we need to be happier. If you are on social media, if you listen to advertisements, if you watch television, if you interact with human beings on a regular basis, you will be very well aware that happiness is something that we are trying to be sold pretty much constantly. And what I mean by that is we are sold the idea that we can be happy if we do something. That something could be buying something. It could be changing something about ourselves. It could be having a specific job, making a certain amount of money, having the right friends, living in the right place, etc., etc. So through that purchase of a commodity or completion of an experience, society is telling us that you, too, can be happy. But what's the subcontext of that? The subcontext of that is that without buying that purchase, completing that experience, that you are unhappy and nobody wants to be unhappy. So what do we do? We do the thing that we think is going to make us happy. And what happens is it makes us happy for a short period of time. And then we find ourselves seeking the next thing to make us happy again. And here's the good news for society. There's always a next thing. There's always something else they can sell us. But society, it doesn't ever really try to talk about making us more joyful. And that's because joy is something that is hard to sell. Joy is something that comes from an internal place. We've talked about this already. It's an emotion of, an emotion of contentment or enjoyment or satisfaction. We can be joyful without achieving, purchasing, or completing anything. And that makes it not great for trying to sell us stuff. We can be joyful while we're resting, reading, running. We can be joyful while we're in relationship with ourselves or with other people. We can be joyful without spending a single penny. So if you are society, a commodity-driven capitalist consumerist society like the one we live in, doesn't really pay to try to sell us joy. Instead, it pays to try to sell us happiness. You, like me, may scoff at this idea. Yes, we know that we are being inundated with these advertisements and suggestions all the time. And maybe we're fairly good at weeding those things out or at least acknowledging that what is 
what they're doing is trying to sell us something under the guise of it making us happier. But I want you to take a step back out of your own brain for a second. Just because you scoff at the idea, because you think it's transparent and silly that society is selling us things for our own happiness, you have to remember that if they're doing it, if that's their tactic for sales and marketing, then it has to work. That there are lots of people who are buying into it. Because if there weren't, if it wasn't making any money, there'd be a different tactic for selling us stuff, right? So why does it work? This is a place where we can, again, tease apart a little bit between happiness and joy. So happiness is an outward expression of excitement. It is often temporary, and it is often based on external circumstances or material objects. And in addition to getting the material object or achieving the external circumstance, there is also an element of happiness to be found in the anticipation of the thing. So think about going on vacation, for example. Say that you have decided that what is going to make you happy is going on vacation to Hawaii. Now, part of the happiness around going on vacation to Hawaii is the anticipation of going on vacation to Hawaii, right? So between that, the anticipation, the fact that being happy often relies on circumstances outside of ourselves, and that happiness is a short-term temporary feeling, it's a really perfect market for selling us stuff. Add to that that happiness is often also about our own pleasure, our own desire, things that make us feel good. So when it's all about something that we want, and it's something that makes us feel good, and something that's going to bring us pleasure, and then it's fairly easy to get, all you have to do is pay for it or do this little thing, or it's fairly easy to be sold the idea of being happy once we get it, right? We can all be convinced that if we have the right partner, if we live in the right house, if we have the right job, if we lose those 10 pounds, then we're going to be happy. It's this perfect storm of sales and marketing. Joy is almost the opposite of all of those things. None of this is going to be new to you. You've been listening to this podcast for a few episodes now, so you know all these things. But we know joy is rooted in our internal experience. Joy comes from our own internal emotions and thoughts about the world. It is often more grounded feeling with emotions like gratitude and contentment, meaning we feel grateful what we, for what we already have and we're content with what we already have. It's also often rooted in and expressed through selflessness, so being of service actually giving to other people instead of taking from other people. And because of all those things, because of that very stable nature, it's much longer lasting. It doesn't leave us as quickly as a feeling of happiness can leave us. You know, the flip side of that, part of the reason why happiness is so uh, sort of sparkly and <laughs> something that catches our attention is it can take a lot longer to become a joyful person than it does to become an occasionally happy person. We can all experience that a brief jolt of happiness. We may not all experience that deep-rooted sense of joy. 
And because joy is inwardly focused, it makes it less susceptible to volatile external conditions. So it doesn't matter what's happening outside of you. It doesn't matter if you've got the job, if you lose the 10 pounds, who your partner is to some extent, right? There's always extremes. Um, But for the most part, we find a stable sense of joy no matter what is happening in our external world. It's a byproduct of a lifestyle that we create, and we create that lifestyle by intentionally choosing thoughts. And when we intentionally choose our thoughts, then we intentionally create our positive emotions, and then our positive emotions intentionally create our actions and our reactions and our responses in the world. So much harder to sell you joy because there's nothing to sell you. You have to create it yourself. Much easier to sell you happiness. I thought that was a good place to start to talk about the difference between the two uh, because it's fairly easy to see when we talk about it in terms of how society looks at it. But we are going to talk a lot more next week or next episode, whenever that episode comes out, about society's view on joy and happiness. I also saw a couple of quotes that I really liked that illuminated the difference between joy and happiness for me. So I'm going to share those with you. J.D. Salinger, the author of Catcher in the Rye, everybody's favorite high school book, once wrote, The fact is, always obvious much too late, but the most singular difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is a solid and joy is a liquid. And the way I kind of take that quote is that joy is malleable, it's moldable, it can fill the cracks, it can take up space, it can find its way around whatever obstacles are in your internal world. Whereas happiness being a solid is immovable. It cannot be molded and shifted and changed depending on what you need it to be. Here's another one. If someone wins a lottery of $10,000, they would be very happy. But if someone worked hard and set up his business and earned $10,000, he would feel joy. Though the ultimate benefit is the same, the cause being different makes the final emotion different, right? So something that is more internal, that we value, that aligns with our purpose, that is something that's going to bring us joy. Something that we win or we get or we buy, that's more likely to bring us happiness. So this is the point where we get to talk about something called the hedonic, hedonic, hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaptation. This is A, one of my favorite phrases on the entire planet, and B, something that I find very fascinating. So important to note right off the top that hedonic adaptation applies to both happiness and sadness. So it can be applied to positive emotion and negative emotion. It's also another way to determine the difference between happiness, and joy, a way you can distinguish the two emotions. First, we need to define hedonic because it's different than hedonism, which I think it's very easy to confuse those because they're the same root word. Hedonic is a word that describes the pleasure or, conversely, the displeasure of a thing or an experience. Hedonism, on the other hand, is a philosophical and psychological concept in which pleasure and the avoidance of pain is believed to be the main motivator of human behavior. So two different things. We're not talking about philosophy and psychology of 
finding pleasure or avoiding pain, we're talking about a word to describe pleasure or displeasure of a thing or experience. It's also important to acknowledge that it isn't inherently bad, quote unquote, that we as humans adapt to stimuli via the hedonic treadmill. Everything we do as humans has an evolutionary purpose, right? Everything we do has evolved over millennia to keep us alive. So there is an evolutionary reason why this is something that our brains do. It's not bad, but it is something that it's important to break down and to understand and to look at a little more closely as modern humans to determine if it's something we still want to be doing. We're going to look here at the beginning at both a positive and a negative example of hedonic adaptation, and then we're going to talk more about the sort of positive version of it. So people who win the lottery, they tend to return to roughly their original levels of happiness after the novelty of winning the lottery has worn off. And I'm sure you know this isn't like groundbreaking news, but some people even end up less happy after they win the lottery because of things like changes in relationships that can occur or financial troubles that they incur afterwards. So, of course, there's an initial influx of happiness, but after about a year is what the research shows, people in their day-to-day lives experience the same general sense of happiness they had before they won the lottery. If they were a happy person before, they're a happy person after. If they were a miserable person before, they're a miserable person after. The same is also true on the other end of the spectrum. So, for example, people who are in major accidents and lose the use of their legs, you would assume that this major loss would drastically affect their happiness or their well-being. But the change in ability is and can be, or at least devastating at first, But again, people generally tend to return to whatever their pre-accident level of happiness was. It also helps explain why, and this is where we're going to edge into the hedonic treadmill part of this conversation, that research has found that the first bite of something delicious that you take is experienced as more pleasurable than the third bite or the fifth bite or the tenth bite. We become accustomed to pleasure rather quickly. And soon, that pleasure we initially felt doesn't bring us the same influx of happiness. So this seems like a really good place to state the obvious, hopefully (laughs) the obvious. Happiness isn't bad, right? We're talking about happiness now. We're talking about adaptations to happiness. And we talked about the difference between happiness and joy. I want you to understand at this point, it's not a bad thing to be happy. Yes, this is a podcast about joy, about finding deeper levels of satisfaction and contentment and gratitude in your life because we can change that we can build that we can adjust that we can change our lives drastically by finding that but does that mean we can't be happy too no no it doesn't we do need to understand the difference between the two in order to understand where our behaviors are leading us sometimes we may think we are seeking more joy in our lives when in reality we are seeking happiness And again, that's not a bad thing, but it's going to have very different outcomes in our lives. Understanding how and why we seek happiness and what happens with what we're about to talk about, hedonic adaptation, it can help us see when the pendulum 
of our positive emotion searching behavior has swung too far in the direction of happiness so that we can bring it back to the creation of joy. So here is an example of hedonic treadmill behavior or hedonic adaptation. Let's go back to Hawaii. So let's say you plan a vacation to Hawaii. When you plan that vacation to Hawaii, you get an initial hit of happiness in anticipation of your trip. But over a couple of weeks after you've planned that trip, you no longer feel that same sense of happiness that you did when you first booked it. In fact, you don't feel that same level of happiness as you did when you first booked it until you actually get off the plane in Hawaii and look at your very first sunset. Then you get a hit of happiness, and that hit of happiness is the same strength, the same quality as the hit you had when you originally booked this trip. On night two, you're in Hawaii you're watching the sunset, and it's just as beautiful as it was the night before, but you no longer feel that same hit of happiness. And in fact, you don't get that happiness until you have your free Mai Tai that the hotel pours you for its happy hour during sunset. Night three, you've got the sunset, and man, is it gorgeous, and you've got the free Mai Tai, and it's even stronger than the night before, but you're still, you're not really feeling that same boost, that same surge, that same excitement that you felt until you have the best dinner that you've ever had. And then on your final night in Hawaii, you've got the sunset, you've got the Mai Tai, you're eating the dinner, and yet it just feels okay. You feel the same way you felt when you got on the plane to come here. So what happened it's not that the external world changed, right? You would look at that scenario and you would think, well, if I felt extreme happiness at that sunset, then every time I see that sunset, I should feel that ex at same extreme boost of happiness. But what happens is that we adapt really quickly to feelings of happiness. And therefore, the next time we need that boost, or we seek that boost, we need more input. We need something bigger, we need something better, we need something more special in order to feel that same hit. It's very similar in some respects to addiction, right? We feel the high, the high goes away. We want to feel the high again, but we need a little bit more than we did the time before. And that isn't by mistake. It's acting on the same parts of our brain, on the same receptors, the same neurochemicals, the same areas of the brain that light up when we think about anything that is an addictive behavior. And we are going to have, I think, a future podcast episode about brain chemicals because they're really fascinating. So hopefully we can see why, right? We call it hedonic adaptation or being on the hedonic treadmill because you just go and go and go and feel like you're making progress and you're getting more and you're doing more and you're having more but you're always ending up at the same place, wherever you were when you started. So here are a few tips on how to combat that so that you can focus on joy to be able to still seek and enjoy happiness without finding yourself on the treadmill. Number one, have a variety of external things that bring you pleasure or moments of happiness. They don't all have to be big, expensive, or worth money at all. Maybe it's fresh flowers or listening to a certain song, 
reading before bed, or making a cup of coffee in the morning. Variety is truly the spice of life when it comes to creating positive emotion. Number two, rotate these pleasures. Have you ever gone a few days without drinking coffee? I don't recommend it. (laughs) It's miserable. But if you have, for whatever reason, you know just how good that first cup back tastes. I hear it's the same feeling as parents get when they finally sleep through the night again, but I wouldn't know. I only have dogs. But in all seriousness, if you find the things that bring you happiness and then rotate through them, you won't need to increase the intensity of them every time just to get a reaction. The newness, quote unquote, factor takes care of that for you. Our brains do have short attention spans sometimes. Our short-term memory is faulty, and occasionally we can actually make that useful for us. Number three, have rituals. Wait, didn't I just tell you not to do the same thing over and over again? Little bit different here. A ritual is a routine that brings you happiness or joy. So what that means is it's not necessarily the specific act in the ritual. It's having the ritual itself that is joyful. Therefore, you may not adapt to the singular acts in your routine in the same way that you might with something else. You will actually get the joy from the ritual or the routine itself and not need something bigger every time you do it. We also have a whole podcast on rituals and routines coming your way. Number four, make time for hobbies. Hobbies that you can learn, hobbies you can get better at and grow with. This is flipping hedonic adaptation on its head and putting it to good use. You're increasing the stimulus on purpose. You're increasing the stimulus by increasing your abilities or your competence or your proficiency. You're unlocking new challenges for your brain, potentially new levels of skill, and all of this keeps your brain stimulated each time you return to your hobby without the hobby itself needing to change. Number five, find time to spend with others, both on a happiness-inducing friendship level as well as being of service to others. We know that connection and being of service create positive emotion that is long-lasting, not just through the experience itself but afterwards and then any time you think about that time spent in the future. Number six, speaking of thinking, slow down, savor the experiences. Not only does this increase your presence, one of the pillars of joy, but it allows you to form better memories of the experience itself and how you felt during that experience, which means you can tap into those memories in the future to reminisce, to re-trigger the happiness that you felt. And number seven, finally, we end up back with our favorite, capital G, gratitude. Writing down what you're grateful for specifically, but also speaking your gratitudes about your experiences makes them bigger, more concrete, and deeper in your memory well. This keeps them in your brain longer, and if you write them down, allows you to revisit the moments again and again and again. So there you have it. Joy versus happiness, but not really because it isn't a battle, right? Joy and happiness are two different positive emotions. One not better than the other, but serving two very different functions. So take what you're experiencing, pay attention to what you're seeking, notice what society is trying to tell you, and decide where is my pendulum? Has it swung too far towards short-term happiness? Can I bring it back towards long-term joy? 
enjoy your happiness. But hopefully the only treadmill you find yourself on is a Peloton. We'll see you next week.